How many can use practical applications sometimes from the word? And this is kind of a, an obscure story. Um, this is during the time when David is still in the wilderness. He has just spared Saul. And how many knows that you can pass one test, and before you know it, there's another test in your face? And when, day, when, when the Lord's developing character in you, uh, and you get the opportunity to go from glory to glory to glory to glory, but it comes through test after test after test after trial after test. And so what gets me to the mountaintop is my ability to face the valley. Can you say amen to that? What gets me to the mountaintop is my ability to not give up on God or to not get sidetracked or to get self-centered. The enemy will come at you in a thousand directions and he'll come at you at the moment <laughs> you think you're doing good. You'll be just thinking, you're doing good. I'm in a good spot. I'm doing well. And all of a sudden, you'll find out, and it can happen in an instant. One thing happened, and the next thing you know, you're spewing things out of your mouth that you have to go back and try to reel in. Oh, is this the right crowd? Have you ever been right on the moment of, of a great victory, and somebody said something, and it just hit you wrong, and you just had to, you just had to, and then you go, oh, my gosh, what have I done? What have I said? Have I changed the course of my destiny with my mouth? Come on. And so sometimes you have to reel things in. The enemy tried to hit me this morning. Well, I'm stupid. 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 So on the way here, Pastor Colleen heard Pastor being stupid. Since then, Pastor's been going, it just happens. It happens to all of us. And I always tell on myself, because if I tell on myself, it'll help you understand. It doesn't matter where you're at in the pecking order of God. It doesn't matter where you are in your development right now. It's common to all of us. All right, so look at this. 1 Samuel, the 25th chapter, I'm going to break into the story. Now, I'm gonna read the first verse, then I'm going to skip to the 18th verse. The first verse goes like this. Now, Samuel died. Isn't that amazing? Because there's a second book of Samuel. Who in the world wrote that? Huh? So in other words, whoever wrote the book of Samuel wasn't Samuel. They wrote it because of Samuel's posterity, all right? Now Samuel died, and all the Israelites assembled and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. David arose and went to the wilderness of Paran. All right? So let me uh, jump over to verse 18, and we're going to read down to verse 44, I believe it is. Here we go. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five measures of parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. That sounds like a feast to me. And she said to her servants, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. 
As she rode on her donkey, she came down hidden by the mountain, and behold, David and his men came down opposite her, and she met them. David is upset about something because he's been snubbed. Anyone here ever been snubbed? Oh, here we go. We're going to finish. Look at this. When Abigail saw David, now Abigail is, is Nabal's wife, and it's Nabal who has spurned David. We'll get into more of the story. When Abigail saw David, she hastened and lighted off of her donkey. In other words, she jumped off quick and fell down before David on her face and did obeisance. Kneeling at his feet, she said, upon me alone, let this guilt be my Lord. She's interceding. How many are glad for the people that intercede in your life? And let your handmaid, I pray you, speak in your presence and hear the words of your handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray you, regard this foolish and wicked fellow Nabal. She's talking about her own husband. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal means foolish or wicked. Is his name and folly is with him. But I, your handmaid, did not see my Lord's young men whom you sent. So now, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, seeing that the Lord has prevented you from blood guiltness and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now let your enemies, those who seek to do evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. And now this gift which your handmaid has brought, my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Forgive, I pray you, the trespass of your handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the Lord's battles, and evil has not been found in you all your days. See, David's reputation was certainly preceding him. Though man is risen up to pursue you, she's talking about Saul, and to seek your life, yet the life of my Lord shall be bound in the living bundle with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies then shall he sling out as out of the center of a sling. In other words, the same as you can twirl a sling, God's going to sling evil out of your life and take care of your enemies, David. Verse 30, and when the Lord had done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has promised concerning you and has made you ruler over Israel, this shall be no staggering grief to you or cause for pangs of conscience to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. And when the Lord hath dwelt well with my Lord, then earnestly remember your handmaid. She's interceding. She's reminding David who he is, and she's reminding David that not everything needs to be avenged with bloodshed. She's reminding him that a simple snub doesn't cause, call for war. Because you have a destiny, David, don't overreact. We got any overreactors in here? Mm. That sound that almost sounded nuclear, didn't it? Overreactors. Look at this. <laughs> Verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, 
the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discretion and advice, and blessed be you who have kept me today from blood guiltness and from avenging myself with my own hand. David heard her. He repented. Aren't you glad for people who get in your face, intercede on your behalf, people who will tell you the truth? How many, how, you know, we all like it when someone tells us a good thing, a puffy thing, a thing that makes us feel good about who we are and where we are and what we're doing. But where, the inim, where, 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 where it becomes difficult is to hear the truth about yourself. If you're acting foolish, if you're acting goofy, if you're acting silly, it's not always easy to take counsel from somebody in that moment because you feel avenged. You feel like, I've got a right to be this way. I've got a right to think the way that I do. I've got a right to go the way I'm going to go. And it's good to have someone in your life. Zeke, you need a Monica. Amen, brother. Amen. That is a smart man right there. For as the Lord of God of Israel lives, who hath prevented me from hurting you, if you had not hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning there would not have been left so much as one male to Nabal. He was coming with vengeance. And she very well could have been hurt, carried out in this situation. Verse 35, so David accepted what she had brought to him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See that I have hearkened to your voice and have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in the house like the feast of a king. And his heart was merry for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until morning light. In other words, she didn't approach him that David was ready to come get you. But in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal, in other words, when he sobered up, how many once in a while we have to sober up in life, and his wife told him these things, his heart died. In other words, his courage within him died. He had a heart attack. His heart died within him, and he became paralyzed, helpless as a stone. Just upon hearing that David was coming after him. And about 10 days after that, the Lord smote Nabal and he died. Don't mess with God's anointed. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who hath pleaded the cause of my reproach at the hand of Nabal and kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him as his wife. And I'll stop there. I'll stop there. In the beginning of this uh, discourse about Nabal, it tells us who he is. He's a businessman. In his own mind, he thinks he's a self-made man. Can I tell you something? No one is self-made. You, you only make it big because God has allowed you. You only make it to a place of prosperity because God has gifted you. You may not recognize him, with it, you may not recognize the gifting that he has given you, but you didn't arrive except that God gifted you. There is no such thing as a self-made man, but many people in this world think they're self-made. 
and they walk around and they brag about that and throw their chest out. And Nabal was that kind of a person. He's walking around, throwing his chest out. David has shown mercy and kindness to Nabal in the region of Carmel because Nabal lived in one region and had his business in another. And Carmel was where he had his business. And there he owned many, many sheep and many uh, goats. He had a thousand goats. I, I know that would be a wonderful blessing, wouldn't it? He said, I've got 11, and he had a thousand. How, how much work is 11? Too much. Too much. All right. He's like, You can have your goats. <laughs> But he was very, very wealthy, and he sent out his sheep shearers, and David was in the region, and David took care of Nabal's men who were working for him. And he made sure they had plenty to eat, and he protected them from anyone who would have posed a danger to them in their business, and he was kind. And so when David was traveling to Nabal's uh, neck of the woods where Nabal lived, he just asked if he would, would return that type of favor back to David and his men, that while we're in your region, would you, would you mind taking care of my men? Everybody knew who David was. It wasn't a secret who David was. Everybody knows David is the next anointed king. And yet Nabal, because he's greedy, didn't want to share any of his goods with anyone but those who were under directly underneath his authority that he could, he could use and exploit for his own gain. And he couldn't exploit David, so he thought, you know what? I ain't giving you nothing. Sorry, nothing here. Well, Abigail, his wife, learned of this. She's the one who interceded because when David heard that, he was he already called his armies. He had already called the men together. He says, we're going to go and we're going to exact revenge. You don't treat me like that. That's not going to happen. Now, how many know sometimes in our youthful development of our character, sometimes we get blowed up like a big bullfrog over the wrong issues? That was a snub. It wasn't something that, that really called for military action. Who can say amen to that? All right. So let me jump into my notes. How much time do I have? I have Ten minutes. How many thinks it can be done in ten minutes? Come on. There's not too many believers in the room, but <laughs> blessed, be blessed. So uh, we start this off, and let me, let me go here because it's important. We start this off with Samuel died. Now, Samuel was the last judge of Israel before there were kings. Samuel gave up his rulership to give Israel a king because they requested a king. He, it's Samuel who anointed Saul to be king. Samuel was ruling. Samuel was a reformer. Samuel had brought Israel and working in the temple. And Eli, um, Eli allowed them to get away with all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of sin, all kinds of perversion in the house of God. And Samuel, of course, was birthed by Hannah, and brought to the temple and dedicated because God had blessed her. He grew up in the temple in the center of corruption, yet heard God call him even as a child in the night. When he came to power, 
He came to power after Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died in war and lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. And when Eli heard that the glory of God had departed from Israel, he was big and fat because they were on the take from the sacrifices that were being made in the uh, temple. And he was so fat and roly-poly, he was sitting on a chair during the battle watching things happen. And when he heard that the glory had departed, he took a fat tip and tipped off the back of his chair and broke his neck. The power of his own weight snapped his neck when he hit the ground. You know the story, the, Israel, the, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant, found out real quickly it was a pain. I won't go there. Found out it was a pain and, and sent it back with golden images of tumors and rats. They were telling God, we're rats for having taken your presence. Amen. So they perverted ministry of the nation, but under the care of of Samuel, not only did the ark return on a cart, but the nation came back to righteousness. And so Samuel is considered Samuel the Great. And this is put in here for us to understand that David stopped what he was doing, but you don't see anything written about Saul being at Samuel's funeral. But David risked his own life to go to pay his respects to the man who brought the nation back to righteousness. Israel, wanting a king, got a king. It wasn't God's best for Israel. But because every other nation had a king, they wanted a king. And so when Samuel passed. He was brought to Ramah, which is the place of his birth. And Ramah means high place, exalted place, a stronghold, a city of the tribe of Benjamin of Bethlehem. He was brought there back to his city because he was the one who brought Israel back to its strong place, its strong tower. And there they paid honor and tribute to him. Mm. And David, after that, returned to a place called Paran, P-A-R-A-N, which means glory. So after the true glory of Israel had passed Samuel, God wasn't without a man because David came back to Paran. The glory, the glory. David was God's man, even though he didn't sit upon the natural throne yet. There's been a kingdom shift. The true patriarch's now gone. Saul's corruption is still on the throne. David is still living in honor to God, but ousted. He's ousted from the kingdom and held at arm's length from his calling, his purpose, and his anointing. And how often 
Have you been persecuted and rejected for trying to live right? Think about that. How many of you ever tried to witness at work and found out not everybody wants to hear that? How many times have your friends told you, oh, yeah, we'll see how long this lasts? How many times have, have you seen people get a panic look on their face when they see you coming? <laughs> I don't think she's here today. My mother-in-law's not here today, is she? Where's she at? Where's she at? My mother-in-law has stories like this. I had a friend who had been a Christian but wasn't living right. And he worked in a local grocery store in Excelsior Springs many years ago. And he, 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 later he, he became a pastor. But later he shared with me a story about my mother-in-law. He said every time that woman came in, she'd run me down at the meat counter. He was, a, he was a meat cutter. She'd run me down at the meat counter, and she'd witness to me. And he said, I got to where when I'd see her come in, I would run for the back of the building. Way to go, Loretta. Way to go. Because he came back to Christ. He came back, and he lived his life as a pastor until the end of his life. He, he gave his all to God. It takes that kind of bold witness. And David is bold, and David is king, and David is righteous, and David wants to be righteous. But even those of us who desire to be righteous, there are moments that are designed in this life that the enemy will make sure he takes a hold of, and he will try his best to trip you up and to get you to line up with something that will destroy your anointing. Mm -hmm. Is everyone with me so far? Look at your watch. We got two minutes. Good. Uh, we'll take three. We'll take three plus whatever we need. <laughs> so David's still living, but he's ousted. He's not there. He can't be in the full setting of his anointing. He, the people can't even experience what the anointing will be under David because he's still in character development. And in the meantime, there's nothing more frustrating to someone who sits in a seat of righteousness to see unrighteousness prevail. Yet, he's such a loyalist that he won't, he won't put his hand against the unrighteous person, because of the office they hold and how God recognizes the office. You're going to get put in some dilemmas. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready for a dilemma. I'm not prophesying that. Now, those of you who, someone said, I'm not speaking that. Whoever, now on the other side, you go back and say, well, it's time to make some dilemmaade. All right. <laughs> so how often have you been persecuted or rejected for trying to do what is right or to live right? How often is your goodness met with a smug spurn? Has your kindness ever been trampled on? Have others taken advantage of your goodness? 
You know, I used to give every time I come up to a corner, I'd give to the homeless guy until I realized some of them people make more money than I do. So now I pray before I give. I want to make sure I'm really sowing into someone who really has a need, not just someone who ha- who's smarter than I am when it- or outsmarted me uh, by standing on the corner. And they go get in their Lexus, and I'm still driving a hoopty. Come on. Come on. Nabal was a self-serving, self-made man, or so we thought. David had showed kindness to Nabal and treated his workers with great kindness and took care of their needs in Carmel. The word Carmel means she knows. She knows. Carmel is known as the place of circumcision, harvest, and fullness of grain. Carmel, in this case, could refer to Abigail, Nabal's wife. Her wisdom far exceeded that of her husband. When she heard what he had done, unbeknownst to him, she brought an offering. She prepared an offering. She sent people out with that offering. And then she showed up to intercede on behalf of her foolish husband and on his foolish decisions. Now, I don't know, but I like the fact that Carmel means she knows. When you think about Elijah and Jezebel, where did it happen? Mount Carmel. And why did Elijah run? Because she knew. So you see, God has no accidents in the Word of God in life and especially in your life. You'll be surprised one day how calculated everything that happened in your life was because God opens up those calculated opportunities for you to get it right. For you to get it right. Everyone's still with me. So, so here they are. She's... She's come because her wisdom is so much better than her husband's. She understood that David was anointed king and came with a peace offering for her husband's foolishness. Now, I don't know where you are, but how many are excited for a praying, discerning woman in your life? Huh? Because praying, discerning women are often the salvation of a foolish, unbelieving husband. They'll keep praying even though they're abused and snubbed and laughed at and mocked and belittled, yet they keep on praying. They keep on seeking. They keep on loving. Former pastor of mine shared the story of his grandfather who was as mean as a striped spider. He said for years his grandmother would pray and pray and pray and pray for this man. And he'd go to church with her just to keep her from testifying. And he would, he would often open up his pocket knife and place it at waist height so that if she stood up, she'd have to stand up into the knife in order to testify. And, and the story comes back that 
every time invariably he would get distracted and she'd find an opportunity and up she'd come. And for years he mocked her, maligned her, made fun of her, treated her like a dog. And then when he was 91... He heard the message of Christ, and this time it took. By this time, she's an invalid. And for the next few, and she left this life knowing he knew the Lord. God is calculated. I don't know why a person has to go through so much tribulation and trial to get to that kind of a testimony. But I know this, it's worth every ounce of what you face. What I like about Abigail here is that she is, she is interceding for Nabal's rejection of David and his refusal of David's request that angered a young warrior. Everyone knew who David was. Everyone knew he was king. And Nabal, Nabal, I'll get it out, was tempting fate. Judgment awaited Nabal. Nabal's greed was about to get him killed. But Abigail came to plead with David not to exact revenge on the stupidity of a greedy, unspiritual man. She brought a worthy offering in her intercession with David, and she turned the angry heart of a king into a man of mercy. I love this story. Like with King Saul, she brought David to the understanding that you are above murder. The last time David came to it on his own, he cut the skirt of Saul and then he uses it as a testimony that I'm not against you, I'm for you. But in this case, he was about to make the same kind of grievous mistake. So here's what she's telling him. David, you're too anointed to act in anger and haste. Hear me, church. You're too anointed to act foolish to the world. You're too anointed to let your neighbor get you riled. You're too anointed to let that, that obstinate family member get your goat. No pun intended. <laughs> that wasn't right. Forgive me, brother. She's letting him know, you're just, you, you are about to step into your destiny. Don't taint it. You're about to become recognized for who you've been anointed to be. Don't blow it here. Because so often it happens in the last few moments just before you step into what God's called you to be, you blow it. That's by enemy design. God allows the opportunity, but the enemy designs to try to take you out. 
being snubbed is one thing, but being snubbed in the enemy going, oh, my gosh, after all you've done for Nabal, you fed his men. You took care of him. Why, David, your king, doesn't he know your king? Well, you know what a king would do? King would kill him. Go kill him. Kill him, David. Now, there's a difference between war and murder. This wouldn't have been an act of war. This, again, would have looked like, he may have made it look like war, but it would have been murder. And he didn't intend just to get Nabal. He was going to wipe out every male under Nabal's influence. This would have been a massacre. She lets him know, your resume doesn't need revenge killing, O great king. He's a foolish person who will get his own. She's talking about her own husband. Sure enough, after the drunken party, he sobered up and found out that David was ready to ride in upon him and wipe out all of his employees and business associates. And Nabal had a heart attack. And 10 days later, he died. David once again saves his reputation from a knee-jerk reaction to rejection. When you know you're anointed king and someone rejects you, that gets under your skin. When you know you're, you have a prophetic gift but people won't listen to you, it gets under your skin. Come on. When you know that you're apostolic, but people won't let you establish anything, gets under your skin. When you're the pastor, but people won't listen to you. Come on. Come on. Those things get under your skin. The enemy, the enemy makes sure it gets under your skin because he doesn't want you to develop in character. He wants you to blow your character. Yeah. Because if you blow your character, you'll do a whole lot more harm than you ever would good. And how many great men and women of God have blown it in the, in the area of character and ended up causing great damage and great harm in the body of Christ? I have personally been under ministers who ended up husband and wife teams who couldn't get their act together and got into adultery and then caused a great harm to the body of Christ, people that we were intimate with. I've seen what it does. I've seen how they try to cover and fix and hide and paint over. Instead of stand up, be corrected, and be restored, they try to save face. David tried to save face a little later on. We won't get into that right now. It doesn't do you any good to save face. If you blew it, stand up and say, I blew it. Be honest. And then let the chips fall where they may, and then allow your brothers and sisters who love you and have a heart for you help restore you. Is this too much? I got to hurry. Goodness gracious. What happened to my three minutes? Man, I used them. I'm sorry. So she's letting him know it ain't worth tainting your anointing. Turn to your neighbor and say, it is not worth tainting your anointing to blow it like this. How does God's anointed look when he avenges himself? Because God is my defense. The battle is the Lord's. 
But so often we go out fighting in our flesh instead of backing up and going, well, that didn't really hurt me. I can provide for my men some food. Big deal. La, 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 la. But our knee-jerk reaction is always fight, 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 fight. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? And these ungodly devices <laughs> cause more arguments and more tainting of the body of Christ because nobody knows how to handle themselves. And they get into these needless arguments with worldly people who don't know what they're talking about anyway, and they know just enough Scripture to be dangerous to themselves, and so they'll throw it out there and get you hung up in something, and pretty soon you're looking foolish because you're arguing an argument you should have stayed out of in the first place. That was free. It's not even in my notes. There are those who will never warm up to the gospel. Some people will never recognize you in your calling. They just won't. A lot, and sometimes they're family members. Sometimes they're people who are, should be close to you and celebrate you the most, and they'll be sometimes the biggest distractor in your life. They remember when you were dumb little Dean... That's my middle name. They remember when you were dumb little Dean. They don't know you as Pastor Dean. They know you as screw-up Dean. And they can never get past it. They can never understand that God can change you to the very core of who you are and make a new creation out of you. And this whole thing that happened to Nabal, he may not have had to have died if David's heart hadn't been where it was at. It may have been that him and Nabal could have eventually had a relationship. I don't know. Only God knows. But he was judged for his foolishness in the situation. Every one of us will be tempted to lash out against brothers, against sisters, against family, against other people in the body of Christ, and especially against the world. I have to be careful because when the world's doing its stupid thing in my face, my mouth goes, and then my heart goes, don't do that. Don't do that. And then I have to delete, retract, reel it in, and I have to deal with it, and I have to get back where I belong. But what's more important, getting revenge or representing the one who saved you. Revenge feels good for a moment, but it only lasts a moment. And then there's a rift between you and that person for a long time that didn't need to be there. David was king and holding, but who did David represent? How would that have looked the king taking out one of his subjects just because he snubbed him. David took out Goliath in righteous indignation because he was a menacing threat to the safety of the entire nation. But Nabal's rejection was personal refusal to not be hospitable. Certainly not worthy of bloodshed.
but the enemy wants to confuse the warrior inside of all of us. Every one of us could rise to the occasion and fight a battle, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually. There's a warrior inside of you. The enemy wants to get us to strike out at each other over matters that are not life and death. This was not a life and death matter. This was not like facing Goliath when Goliath was a menacing enemy. The whole nation could have been sacrificed in that situation. David stepped up in righteousness. But now that David stepped up and felt what it feels like to have a little extra victory under your belt, it's real easy to step up again. And, hey, I'm a warrior. Remember Goliath? Hey, Nabal, did you see me with Goliath? It's easy to revert back sometimes, but, but what circumstance has God got us in? Because God will never ordain you to attack a brother. All of what I said was for this moment. God will never ordain you, back you, or look favorable upon you for attacking a brother. Even if your brother is in the wrong. Now, I didn't say he won't correct or use you to correct, but he will not allow you to lash out and cause war. Is that too much? We're almost done. Everybody's looking at the floor like, oh, my gosh, get out of here. There's daylight outside. <laughs> I thank God for intercessors like Abigail because she saved David from ruining his name and reputation while waiting for the fulfillment of his calling and his anointing. In the end, David, get this, in the end, this little squabble between him and Nabal, if he'd acted by an act of his own personal will, he would have taken Nabal out, killed all those men, and entered in on the day of being king as a king of bloodshed already. He would have been known as someone to fear, not the David to dance in the street over, but the king to fear, because if you stand before him, he might kill you if he's in a bad mood. But get this, because of the intercession of Abigail, bringing David back to a right mindset, oh, thank God for intercessors, he backed up and repented from having that thought. Just 10 days later, the man he could have taken out was taken out anyway. This is the end of the story. When David heard that news, because of the kindness of Abigail, and the word said she was kind of nice to look at, he came to her and said, now I know you're a widow, no support. Why don't you become my wife? 
get this. Now, this is going to sound crazy, what I'm about to say. And you're going to think, pastor lost his mind in nuts. But, but just look at this victory. He not only didn't have to deal with Nabal, he got his wife and everything he owned. Because he kept his heart right. I would much rather live in God's reward than for him to have gone in there and taken it as a spoil of war over something that was not war worthy. I'll take God's victories every time. I'd rather do it God's way every time. Do you believe that God wants you to prosper? Do you believe he wants you to win? Do you believe he wants you to have the character that when you step into the office that God has called you to, that you can go in without any baggage whatsoever and stand before the people and represent the God that you love so much, that you've nurtured relationship with, because that is the call that is upon your life, not to be a great warrior, not to take out everybody at a whim, but to stand and represent him and fight when it's necessary and forgive when it's necessary and to have the discernment to know the difference between the two. Father, we magnify you. We thank you, Father, for these extra minutes. I ask, Lord, that this simple lesson, simple as it is, would get down in our heart to not strike out against a brother because we have a disagreement to not strike out against one another because we've had words, not to strike out against one another because someone has spurned someone else or someone's kindness has been overlooked. God, I'm asking you now, as the body of Christ, as we're heading in, Father, through the last fleeting moments of time, the greatest push and greatest revival uh, that mankind will ever know on this earth, that we're standing at the precipice, Father, of a great outpouring in our region. But, Father, we don't want to just be another church filled with a lot of wounded people. We want to be a whole body. We want to be a body that is fitly joined together and able to supply what each and every one needs. Father, we need the discernment to know when to fight the enemy and when to love one another. Father, we ask you, Lord, that as souls come through the doors, that you give us the kind of discernment that Abigail had, Father, in this situation to not taint our office or our anointing or our witness to a world who needs a tangible proof there is a God. Strengthen us in the inner man and cause us to be who you'd have us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're here today, I'm not going to call you to the front. If you're here today and you have a similar issue in your life and you're wrestling over something, that you know the Lord's speaking to you, it's time It's time to wrestle it to the ground and get it in proper order. If that's you, just up real quickly, right back down. Thank you. That's honest. That's honest. That's honest. Thank you. Father, I pray for these individuals, Father, who are struggling within, 
There's battles, Father, and battle lines that the enemy is trying to draw. God, I thank you for the power to forgive. I thank you, Father, for the power to stand up and to keep their character straight before you. I thank you, Father, for helping them right here, right now in this situation. If you're streaming today, I want you to just bow your head and ask the Lord to come into this area of your life that where you may have an unforgiveness or a hurt or a heartache or harboring resentment, that today, this day, you get it right. This day we turn it loose. This day we will, we will preserve the anointing that God has given us. This day we will preserve our calling. This day we will preserve our righteous standing before our God that he may be looked upon favorably from the world. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.